Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Alice. I'm Irene. I'm Jason. And I'm Eli. And today we're celebrating our 100th episode with a Q&A. So first order of business is first. Irene is back. I'm here. I'm in the room. Yeah. Irene is permitted. <laughs> Our listeners heard us in the Kapayama Who episode not that long ago, but in reality, Irene has not been here since June. Yes. Yeah. It has been forbidden for us to see her. So it's very exciting. Even in June, I think we recorded... Yeah, when I was editing the Kapayama Who episode, it was like, there's a little bit at the start where it's like, we're so excited to be in the same room together. We haven't been allowed to record together for so long because we've been in lockdown since March. And then immediately after that, it became illegal again. Yeah. <laughs> so to celebrate this momentous day, wait. Wait there. Okay. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> Alice and I bought this. Oh, what? <gasps> and we're just going to have some Foley now. I'm very excited to drink sparkling wine. So. Irene, please point this somewhere safe. Like, away from the expensive sound equipment. Don't stress. I haven't Maybe. even taken the twist in. Maybe do it outside. Uh-huh. There we go. Boo! <laughs> Bloody <laughs> All right. So, everyone, cheers. Cheers. Too queer as fact. Too queer as fact. Too queer as fact. I swear that sounds like our wine glasses are plastic. They're not. We're They're classy not. people. <laughs> um. So, I guess just a little bit of, like, admin before we start just a bit of a catch-up on queer as facts existence as a podcast with four count them four functioning members <laughs> um so yeah we've been in lockdown and we've not been able to like visit people in melbourne most of this time we've been allowed to uh the three of us have been allowed to be in a room alice jason and i because jason and i live together and alice is my partner but irene has been excluded from that i was exiled <laughs> yeah to like 15 minutes down the road that was yeah. the tragedy of it <laughs> um so because we've had you know multiple days of zero cases in our state and generally like very little cases at all overall uh that has currently been lifted and just to make it clear that this is like safe and allowed and Legit, yeah. Yeah, legit. It's all <laughs> above board that we can do this. Hopefully next season will just be business as usual and we won't be bringing you an ever-changing schedule and, you know, <laughs> firing <laughs> Irene again. Um, but, you know, anything can happen and obviously we will uh, keep the safety of the four of us and everyone in our community in mind and react responsibly. So since we recently found out we'd be able to gather in the same room to celebrate our 100th episode, we've put out a call on social media for our listeners to send in some questions they'd like us to answer about our podcast and queer history and ourselves. Question me. Okay. Put me to the question. <laughs> Interrogate us. Yes. Okay, so I've sorted these questions into a bit of categories, so we're going to be asking on some themes, starting with talking, <laughs> enjoying your champagne, Jason. <laughs> I couldn't not. <laughs> Okay, um, so we're going to be talking on some themes, starting with talking about ourselves. So our first question was asked by one of our patrons, DFITS. Thank you, DFITS, for supporting our podcast. And DFITS has asked, since you folks often reference your education and interests, I would love to know about your journeys in regards to your university program choices and interests. Um, so some of this information is actually on our website, queerisfact.com, for anyone who hasn't uh, visited it already. A nice subtle plug. <laughs> <laughs> and since I've said that, I might as well get us started. Uh, I 
I'm the one person here who doesn't have a history background. So I studied media and communications and politics and international studies uh, at University of Melbourne um, for my undergraduate. And then I did a master's in advertising for my postgraduate where I wrote a thesis that had nothing to do with advertising because <laughs> I wanted to write gay. Some, Yeah, because I wanted to write something queer. So I wrote about basically online video responses to gay marriage being legalized in the US. And yeah, that's that's my educational background, basically. <laughs> All right, Irene. I did my undergrad in history and I had a diploma in Mandarin. Please don't ask me to speak Chinese. It was five years ago. Um, <laughs> I'm very rusty. And then I finished studying and I was like, that's enough academia for me forever. And then three years later, I was like, okay, but what if I wrote a thesis? And so then I went back to uni and I did my honours and I wrote a thesis that was about women and sexual desire and gender during the Cultural Revolution in China. So I guess technically my like specialty area is 20th century China. I'm next in the circle, so I guess it's my turn. This is like the first shoot of the semester. It is. <laughs> Why are you doing this subject? <laughs> <laughs> I got to university and I kind of wanted to do history, but I didn't like fully know what I wanted to do. And I have a very clear memory of having the handbook open and I'd done Japanese at school. So I was reading through the language list looking for Japanese and it's in alphabetical order. And immediately <laughs> after J for Japanese is L for Latin. And I was like, nah, that sounds cooler. So yeah, after that fortuitous moment reading through the Melbourne University handbook, I studied ancient world studies and classics and... Then I realized you can't really do that very effectively in Australia without having to go overseas all the time because I wanted to do archaeology and you can't dig up ancient Rome in Australia. Which is not here. Unfortunately, maybe fortunately, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> what stopped you from doing like Australian archaeology? Well, it's not at Melbourne Uni at all. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. So I'd have to go on and do like a oh, full you have to course go to at Latrobe. After my undergrad, I went to Deakin University and I got a master's in cultural heritage, which I have just finished last month. I was Yay. like, what date is it? <laughs> Congratulations to Alice. Like, I will drink to that. Let's yeah. toast. Yeah. I think we should try and toast again. Toast. Cheers okay, we to will try and Alice. toast again. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I'm not officially a master of cultural heritage yet, but I'm functionally a master of cultural heritage. And I wrote a thesis on how there's no queers in museums and it's bad. So I also did my undergraduate in ancient world studies and classics at Melbourne Uni. Unlike these guys, I'm from South Australia instead of Victoria. And I looked at doing uh, ancient world stuff at the University of Adelaide and I decided not to do that when I was in an adult education class that was running for the summer teaching ancient Greek and I discovered that that was the full extent of Adelaide University's ancient Greek offerings at that point <laughs> and so I moved across the country well, that's not really across the country. <laughs> I moved slightly to the right <laughs> and ended up at Melbourne. Uh, which worked out well, I would say. This podcast would not be here if you went to the University of Adelaide. No. No, it absolutely would um, not. Shout yeah. out to our listeners in Adelaide. I hope you are not offended by what we say about no, your city. No, it's not <laughs> that Adelaide, Adelaide is bad. Anyway. It's just that Adelaide is bad to study classics. Yeah. Yeah, so, yep, that's what my degree was on. I did my honours thesis on um, the biographical tradition understanding that Sappho was a teacher, which for the record is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's what I did. Very good. Very good. How did all of you get into history? What was the first thing that drew you to it? 
I don't remember like getting into history. Like I can remember being a kid and like, I know my obsession as like a young child, probably like primary school was like Vikings. And I used to go to the library and borrow all the books from Vikings and like on Vikings and like learn the runes and like bake the Viking foods and the books and stuff. Oh, we used to do that together. We were very into Vikings. Yeah. So like, I can remember being into history from like as young as I can remember kind of like being into things, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I remember before that I probably started like younger than Vikings getting into like Greek and Roman mythology and then my mum went to the library and borrowed a Viking mythology book because she was like I think you've read all the Greek myths now <laughs> and then I got really into that and then from there somehow I just got incredibly into the French Revolution and I read like every book in my local library about the French Revolution literally every single one and then I was like parents what do I do now and my dad worked at a TAFE which is like a community college and they had history courses there and so he started bringing me home like random history books and that's how I got into history (laughs) I guess I got into history sort of via languages I was not until my final year of high school going to do an arts degree at all which history is a part of I was going to go into sciences but yeah like I was really into languages and I was really into like studying literature and I think when I discovered classics I felt like that was a way to combine those interests in a way that was actually like discovering and adding to knowledge Mm. in a way that just like becoming a translator or like doing uh an english lit course at a university wasn't personally which is why i did every (laughs) ancient language that Unimel would let me do (laughs) how many ancient languages have you studied this is uh um at university four did you do acadia they weren't they weren't running it anymore oh okay yeah Yeah. so i did latin greek i did it it rankles my very soul i'm very sorry uh i did greek latin hieroglyphs and um syriac Syriac, yeah. Outside, I've also done Old Norse and Hebrew. Outside of uni, just if anyone's wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so as we've already established, I don't have a history background. (laughs) But I guess I can talk a bit about how I got into, like, media analysis, which is really, like, I guess what I bring to this podcast. Which is that I, in my university degree, tried to get away from, at Melbourne Uni, the comms major is very focused on journalism, but, you know, they told us straight away that there were no jobs in journalism, which (laughs) is true. Um, Even more true now than it was, uh, I'm going to show my age here and say... uh, eight years ago when I started my degree. So I ended up with a lot, a bit more of an eclectic mix of subjects, uh, including some that focused on kind of media analysis. And then I was, I got really into watching movie reviewers and like film analysis stuff on Twitter, reading really in-depth reviews of books. And then when I sort of was coming to terms with my queer identity and Eli, who I was living with by this stage, was talking about starting up the podcast. Mm. And uh, I think it was when you gave me that book about like 20th century gay cinema was sort of the moment where I was like, oh, this is this is really interesting. And I'd like devoured that book and then sort of. That was like so long before you actually became involved with the podcast as well. So I was just like playing the long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the longest game. Like, first I'll ask them to live with me. So that last question, by the way, came to us from Tumblr user from out of the unexpected. So thank you for that question. Sorry, I forgot um, to mention you. <laughs> Uh, our next question also comes from Tumblr. It's from user Bees, Herbs, and Ivy. And it is, uh, what are everyone's pronouns and if it's not too prying, identities? I am happy to start us off with that. I'm non-binary and my pronouns are they and them. Yeah. Cool. Which is something I only came to, I think, after I joined the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I just. think so. So I'm kind of glad we didn't have an interview like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd have to, like, redact it. Yeah. <laughs> 
so my pronouns are he, him. I am trans. I'm also bisexual. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. I am also bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm also bisexual. <laughs> we have an overrepresentation of bisexuals on this podcast. We need more diversity. Do we, though? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's fine. Yeah. I have some, like complicated feelings about pronouns honestly I feel like I don't know I just feel like to me pronouns are kind of like something someone else does to you like Mm. I don't feel my gender inside me I feel like it's something that has happened to me so I feel like like by actively asking for like she her pronouns or they them pronouns or something I'm giving I'm giving the wrong impression by Mm. saying that it's something Mm -hmm. that matters to me Mm. or like asking for something I feel like I'm kind of misleading people that this is something I feel is part of my identity Mm. and I don't really which goes to say I don't really mind what pronouns you use for me in general Mm. I remember discussing this with you once and you were like we say I use she, her pronouns, but I don't use yeah. them. Everyone else uses them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I feel like to me, like gendering me is something other people do to me, mm-hmm. not something I do to myself. Which like, to be clear, is a very personal experience yeah, of gender. Yeah, yeah. And I know yeah. like for many people, it is something they feel like inside themselves. As for the other part of my queer identity I exist on that like hazy line between bisexual and lesbian where I love every woman and occasionally one man (laughs) you are what the memes are aimed at I'm what the memes are about yeah Yeah. (laughs) usually I just say queer about everything yeah like yeah I definitely prefer to say queer than to specify but like you know you know I'd ask the question and I think you asked it in good faith so yeah so our next question comes from Sandy via Facebook who has asked how did you host or meet um, I think, Alice, <laughs> you and Irene should start this one because that is chronologically the beginning. That's true. I, I, guess, Irene, I guess Irene yeah. should really yeah, start. Yeah, Irene should really start. she was there first. Yeah. She was there first. <laughs> and we'll work our way so, through. I guess I was like 19 months old. <laughs> <laughs> and we were at the hospital. No, I did not come to the oh. hospital, I don't think. Well, I don't remember because I was a newborn. What they're getting at is that they're related. We are, <laughs> we are sisters. That's what I, I was asking you to say. They are sisters. <laughs> apparently, for the first several months, I did not know as Alice at all and when she was like four months old I walked into the room where her crib was and like leaned over the side and was like mum a baby <laughs> my god what's that <laughs> a bird so a plane it's Alice four and months then... after Alice was born when I finally noticed presumably you were like oh god we should start a queer history podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that's right. it that's it we exactly did when right. we were kids we used to have cassette tapes and we used to oh we did we functionally made podcasts as kids on cassette make, tapes like, yeah yeah <laughs> like write audio dramas for ourselves and stuff yeah this is wild i love finding out things that i didn't know (laughs) sometimes i'm like cleaning up at my parents place or something and i find them and i'll listen to them and it's just like us talking about stuff i remember there was a star wars one i remember very clearly there was a moment when obi-wan dramatically walked out of the room we had to do like foley of his like stomping (laughs) yeah obi-wan was like angry we did like clanking noises he left yeah, <laughs> uh, and you can find that on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'll see if I can find it. We can upload. You can find it, it on um, our OnlyFans. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, um, and then I think we can probably fast track the rest, and then say yeah. eventually Alice and Irene went to the University of Melbourne, where we met. And then Jason. also, so did Jason and Eli. <laughs> oh yeah, I and at some point, the there were only guys. so many bars on campus, and. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I met Alice and Irene through my then partner, Lara, yeah. who has actually been on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Lara did uh, a yeah. guest star once. Yeah, Lara uh, was a, a guest star once because she was meant to come back and host an episode and we make guest hosts be a, a guest not first. host yeah, first. Yeah. Um, but she she didn't end up doing that for various reasons, so she's just there one of them. <laughs> one time, yeah. It's the Michael Dillon episode if you're like, I want to hear Lara's voice. Yeah, and if like, you want to get a complete set of all the people who've been on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I remember very clearly the first moment I met Jason, because Lara had been like talking about this new partner she had, and I was like, oh, okay, now I'm finally going to meet them. And then we met briefly for like five minutes, and I was like, they seem fine. <laughs> that's wow. it that's my memory <laughs> i remember meeting i remember meeting jason yeah neither eli nor i can remember exactly yeah. when we met but i do distinctly remember the moment that that began the process by which we ended up living together which is that we were on a train and i was desperately looking for somewhere to live because my family had just sold the house and were moving to the country and i said to eli something along the lines of and no one's just gonna like Asked me to live with them. Yeah, you were saying I need to like really start looking because no one's just going to turn around and say, Jason, move in with me. And I was like, oh, by the way, Jason, do you want to move in? With <laughs> because my household was looking for like a fourth share house person. Yeah. And, and now we've been living together for like five years nearly. Yeah, yeah. almost. Uh, we're going to celebrate our anniversary in January. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's. A pretty good summary of how the four of us. Well, I haven't met. said how I've met anyone. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Which, um, when we've established, we have no idea how I met you, Jason. <laughs> but I remember meeting the two of you, and I, I guess I just essentially want to say that we basically met through the Lamius fandom. <laughs> we basically did the Tumblr Lamius fandom, twenty thirteen. <laughs> yeah. So if you were there, like, hit us up. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, was, and we, it was a Harry Potter club pub night. Yeah, it was at the Melbourne Uni Potterheads. I think like I think they'd been founded that. Yes, year. yeah, I was the president. Which, yeah, oh, like, okay, hasn't aged well. Our next question comes from the Chekhov on Tumblr, and we got a few questions like this. Victoria on Twitter also asked a very similar question, and the question is, how did the podcast get started? Who had the idea and rallied the others? Which I think I'll throw to Eli. Eli. I'll take this one. <laughs> um, it was me. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, it was me. Um, I initially had the idea just because I listened to a lot of history podcasts at the time and I thought they were all pretty bad and I thought <laughs> I could do better. Um, specifically because um, like podcasting has really taken off in the few years that we've been doing the podcast. Yeah. yeah. But at that time, there was like a lot less of it around and most of the history podcasts that exist were very much like someone just giving a lecture in monotone and it was incredibly unengaging and I thought that history could be made more engaging for the public and I was really influenced as well by a podcast that is still around called Rex Factor like what they do is they go through all of the kings and queens of England and then they've done Scotland and now they're talking about the like queens of England and king consorts or whatever i guess and they like rank them in a x factor type way and it's like quite fun you know it's two people having a discussion as opposed to just like one person lecturing yeah and i was like multiple people having a discussion about history you say <laughs> and then i turned to my best gay friends and i was like hey like i, I remember asking you guys saying like yeah. hey you want to do a quick history podcast yeah and you guys were like yeah i think we're all like a little drunk. I remember. And, yeah. And then everyone like sobered up and forgot about it. And I was like, all right guys. So like, when's our first meeting? Everyone was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I basically bullied everyone until the podcast had enough momentum that no one could back out anymore. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. 
Next question. <laughs> like I signed you up for an, a course to learn how to use Audacity. Oh yeah, you did. You're like, this library is offering this course. Go Alice. And then like, although Jason was not a part of this podcast, I took Jason with me to that course. It was always fated that Jason would <laughs> yeah. be a part of this podcast. It was a long yeah. con. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think because I was, as we've sort of already said, living with Eli by this point and the podcast equipment was going to be in our house. I was like, maybe I'll do a podcast at some point. Yeah. And like, and you was, did. I did. But <laughs> not quite in the way I expected. Mm. Okay, the next one is from Twitter user Pretty Witty and Gay. Same. Um, (laughs) How long does it take to research each episode? It can really vary, but like a long time. Yeah. (laughs) Longer than we expected when we started this. It's hard to say because obviously like we all have jobs on top of this and we all do other things. Like a lot of us have been studying while we've been doing this. So it's not like we like sit down. It's like for eight hours, I'm going to research the podcast. Like we're always fitting it around other stuff we're doing Mm, yeah Yeah. and it also just i think depends a lot on the kind of like the person you're researching some are like there are two biographies of this person and all the information is in there and you can just power Mm. through those books and some of them are like nobody has ever done any like collating work on this and you spend a lot of your time trying to like dig up bits of articles and things like that. And some of them are like, there's 45 biographies. Everyone has so much to say about Frida Kahlo. I'm drowning. Oh my God, help me. (laughs) Just like as an example. I've been planning a Tchaikovsky episode for a long time and I'm like, I don't know what information I will choose. Yeah. Mary Shelley, I definitely researched for like, I can remember starting it around Christmas and I think we recorded it in about March. So like... Several mm. months. Mm. Yeah, I personally would never start researching for any episode later than a month before the episode came out. Yeah. And yeah. that I would feel mildly panicky about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so our next question is from the Chekhov again. <laughs> uh, Thanks, the Chekhov. Once again from Tumblr. What has been one of the most challenging things about running a queer history podcast? I found this question very interesting because you haven't read it out, but in brackets they wrote, I think I know the answer. And I do not know what the yeah, obvious answer is. Yeah, I don't know what is. that was either. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so, why don't you tell us the check Yeah, so like, <laughs> let sorry. us know. Yeah, I'm very I, interested to know. My guess at what the Chekhov would say. Uh, <laughs> Please. <laughs> Psychoanalyst. <laughs> would be the difficulty in finding sources. Mm. I think that's definitely the hardest thing for some episodes, but I wouldn't say it's the hardest thing overall. I think the hardest thing overall, which I guess is something we've surmounted to a degree, but I reckon the hardest thing at the start was just, we didn't really know what we were getting in for. Like the sheer amount of work it takes to like do research that we feel is like satisfying. Mm. Yeah. And then like edit a podcast and like, it was just so much more work than we thought it would be. And I reckon that was a challenge earlier mm. on i don't know what i'd say the hardest thing is now for a good while i feel like the hardest thing was scheduling because i remember when alice worked weekends eli worked yeah. a nine till five and i was doing evening shifts <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i was like weeknight true. evening shifts and it was so hard to schedule mm. we would have to do it at like after my shift terrible that was bad yeah. times i distinctly remember not being in the podcast and frankly being pretty thankful because you were <laughs> recording like late at night. This was back in the days of the blanket fort. Oh God. Oh, God yeah. The three of these guys would clamber under a table with a blanket over the top and just sit on the floor of my living room. Yeah. I, at like 10 at night. 
after work. Which as someone who is reasonably tall and has a lot of limbs. Um, <laughs> Four, slightly above average. <laughs> never really appealed to me. I'm thankful for our improved audio setup. So thank you to our patrons. Yeah, thanks, Patreon. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, now we sit at a table, imagine. Yeah, we used to have to because like we're actually sitting at the table that was the table we sat under. <laughs> True. And because it's like a standard table, the first thing we had to do whenever we set the podcast up was to get all of the big books we could find on my bookshelf off to prop it up tall enough that we could sit under it and we're always kind of like one day we're just gonna like knock it off and whatever happens happens (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think for like me the it's not really that much different than what Alice said the biggest ongoing frustration is that we have so many ideas of stuff to do with this Mm -hmm. podcast and of like things that we would like to do for both the like the podcast overall and for specific episodes that we just can't do Mm. because of time constraints or like all the information is in an archive in Germany or something. Yeah, Yeah, but I don't even mean stuff like that. Like, that's pretty, like, even if we could work on this podcast full time, we're not going to be able to uh, fly to different countries every week to to research an archive for months. (laughs) I I mean, things that if we had the time, we could just do but like we can't. Mm. Yeah, like I definitely feel that getting suggestions every time mm. someone messages in and they're like, have you considered doing an episode on this person? And I'm like, that's such a great idea. Throw I'll add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry to those people, but. We and have a suggestion spreadsheet that has like over 400 suggestions on it. To be clear, like keep sending us suggestions. Yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. And we do like, even if you think someone has already suggested it, just go for it because we do keep track of how many people have suggested things as well. And, like, if, like, ten people suggest something, mm. well, you know, it'll yeah. get bumped up the list. I mean, we did that Frederick the Great episode because it was inexplicably the most requested episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody requested Sappho, like, last week, and Sappho was not on the spreadsheet. Sappho had then. never been requested. That's yeah. so, so, so unexpected. I can't remember if that was, but, like, shout out to that person. <laughs> also, to people sending in suggestions, you're probably more likely to get your episode sooner if you pick somebody earlier than the 19th or 20th century and somebody outside of Europe and America. Or even in Europe and America, but not white. Yeah, that's true. Very true. true. Yeah. So our next one is kind of a long one. It's from Joe Bryden, who is one of our patrons. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. So I know a lot of your episodes have a pronoun section TM. <laughs> but at what point in your research do you make that decision that an individual needs a pronoun section TM? <laughs> um, also, how do you feel when other historians come to different conclusions? Particularly in the Polymari case, your choice of he, him puts you in an incredibly small minority, although I do definitely think you made the right call there. I'm currently researching a gender nonconforming man, in quotations, and I keep reading things in letters and diaries that make me think about using they, them instead of the universally accepted he, him. Especially when people don't have the language to describe their identity and pronouns, what do you do? Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Yeah, I think for me... It's hard to say because kind of my answer is like I decide then use a pronoun section when I'm unsure of what pronouns to use. But then I think the reasons that I'm unsure would really vary from episode to episode. Mm. So it's really hard to give a general statement. Um, I guess like as close to a general statement as you could probably get is as soon as Will Roscoe starts talking, you're like, this is going to need a pronoun section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. And one obvious answer is when different pronouns are used in the sources about them. Like Stormy Delivery is an example where I came across people that used she and I came across people that used he. And so I had to think, which one should I be using or should I be using they? Because people who knew them were using different Mm -hmm. ones. Multiple, yeah, ones. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's like an obvious example where you need to stop and think about it. Um, I I mean, I think for me, it just doesn't really work that way in that like I don't 
get to a point in the research where I'm like, wait a minute, this is a gender thing. I'm like, time for me to be loud and trans again. Who will I talk about this time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like, I know I will have to do that because I know that the scholarship about trans and gender nonconforming people is almost universally terrible at this point. Mm. Yeah. So I kind of know that I'll have to do that at the outset. And the way in which I do that just depends on the way in which scholarship is wrong. Mm -hmm. There were kind of two things I was going to say. And the one of them was to me, I feel like, when I end up talking about pronouns, it's because I feel like I've needed to sort of explain my research processes. So if I've been like going through my, like making my notes and after a while I've been like, oh, I'm not sure about this. I should change this pronoun. Mm -hmm. Then I'll start being like, I should include a like explanation of why I made the decision that I did. Especially if it's an like an unusual decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like compared to the rest of the literature. Mm -hmm. They're also like, I remember this from the, Albanian sworn virgins episode that I did there are like a remarkable number of circumstances where some scholar will interview someone and be like she invariably used masculine endings to just like on adjectives to describe herself and went by a masculine name she did not wish to talk about her gender identity and wished to be considered simply a man (coughs) and I'm like okay no think. <laughs> no think. <laughs> yeah. And I think that brings us like really well to the second part of Joe's questions, which is like, how do you feel when other historians come to different conclusions? Hypothetically, I am fine with a historian sitting down and like looking at the information and being like, as best I feel, I think I should use she pronouns. And like, I say so-and-so should use they pronouns if we're both genuinely been respectful and so forth but never once have i had a situation like that Mm. in the research literally Mm. every single time at least for the episodes i've done that i've used a different pronoun in the scholarship the pronoun that i've been using is the pronoun that matches the sex that person was assigned at birth and like cis people just can't get past that apparently Mm. yeah honestly i don't feel that there's ever been a case where i've disagreed with the scholarship and i felt really uncertain or like uncomfortable with that like trans scholarship is bad that's that's the fact of it like Mm. I, yeah i don't feel... i mean there's some very good trans scholarship out there but scholarship about yeah. potentially trans historical things yeah. is yeah. bad yeah yeah to That's, be clear yeah <laughs> like there are some you very good... susan striker alone very good trans scholars <laughs> out there <laughs> yeah so I, I guess also to bring it back to uh the research that joe is doing i don't know like what you're doing this research for if you're publishing something or like presenting this to the public in some way I guess it kind of sounds like that's probably the case. But, like, don't be afraid to do something unconventional if you feel like it would be more respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, like, very scared to do that for Pauli Mari, which was our, like, first big gender episode TM. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we've had, like, nothing but positive responses for it. I mean, obviously, like, the worth of doing that is not measured by the positiveness of the response. But... Like, I there think was we... like way less pushback than I thought. And as you seem to agree, it's objectively the right thing to do to try and take into account those things, even if previous scholarship hasn't. It sounds to me like you've already put more thought into this than any of the scholarship you're reading, probably. <laughs> so if you think that they then would potentially work, then like I encourage you to go with your gut on that. In terms of like the people that we're talking about not having the language to describe their identity and pronouns... I think sometimes for me saying that a particular person would use whatever pronouns is an assertion that like they clearly want this, but even when we can't make that confident a statement, you know, I've said this before on the podcast that it's never a neutral decision just to go with the pronouns that match someone's birth sex. That's just not 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. No matter how much scholarships wants to pretend it is, that's still you making a decision and it's an assertion. So even if like using their pronouns indicates that this is something that is unclear, then that's still, I think, a great thing to normalize. And it's difficult to give kind of like a blanket statement outside of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's kind of like sometimes people will not have the same language as we do to talk about like their gender identity, even just in terms of like language, like different languages, not, you know, not every gender non-conforming person has to go through the experience that English speaking trans people do mm. of saying these are my pronouns because not every language has gendered pronouns. Mm. So it's not necessarily this is how this person would have spoken about themselves. And it's more like, this is how I feel I can respect what I know about this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our next question is from the Chekhov again. <laughs> Thanks to Chekhov. You always ask very good questions. And they've asked, what is one thing you wish people, non-historians, understood about history in general? Wikipedia still isn't a valid source. Stop trying to rehabilitate Wikipedia as a, as a valid source. It isn't. I don't care if there's citations at the bottom. It's not a valid source. You need to check those citations. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a particularly serious answer, although I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like... I wish that people understood that the work of doing history wasn't just a matter of reading facts and then regurgitating them. Mm. Mm. I wish people understood that history is uncertain. Like, I feel like people kind of think, oh, so you're, say, you're a historian and you studied 20th century China, to use the example of Irene. Therefore, if I ask you a question about 20th century China, you should know, not because you're a historian, you'll be able to give a more complex answer and say, oh, well, these people say this and these people say this and we can consider this. Like, being a historian makes history more complex not, not simpler. simpler. Yeah, I feel like periodically you get one of those questions that's like, so was Robespierre good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> I remember so clearly being in my like year eight, I reckon, year eight history class and someone put up their hand and was like, excuse me, miss, was Napoleon like good or like evil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like to a great extent, outside of the like history field, a lot of people have this understanding that what historians are doing is collecting the facts before they get lost. Mm. And the reality of what we're doing, and especially I think what we're doing as queer historians, is kind of trying to make our best guess at things which have already been lost. Or, or yeah, just like answering questions which don't have clear answers. And never will have clear answers. Like, you could know every fact about Napoleon that there is, and you will still end up in a debate about whether he was overall beneficial to France or not. Mm -hmm. This question is from Joe Brighton. Joe asks smart questions. Thanks, Joe. Is there anyone you've felt a particularly close connection to while researching? Who's been your most relatable subject? Oh, I feel like those are two different questions. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I have like a lot of answers to this because I 100% choose episodes by being like, this woman is a lesbian and a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying you found Audrey Lord like intensely relatable. Yeah. Mm. I read her autobiography, um, Zami, and it's just like a very relatable and kind of emotive recount of being like 20 something and mm. queer and not knowing where the hell you're going in life. Mm. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's, it's a very yeah. good book. I recommend that. 
I also, like I said, I have like seven answers. You can give them. (laughs) I also. You can just list off lesbians that you like have emotions. You have this power, Irene. This is what this podcast is for. (laughs) (laughs) I also love Lesbia Harford. Um, I really love when we do Australian episodes. Yeah. It's really nice when you like, you're reading about her and you're like, oh, I know where that school is that she went to. Oh, I've been to that park. I had a picnic there. That's my tram line. Yeah. I remember that for Lesbia. Whenever. Yeah, whenever we talk about lesbian, we're like, should we like just like flirt with doxing ourselves just a little? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think in general, like in general, what draws me to history is finding those relatable moments. Mm. Like, I love reading diaries. Like those, you know, when you're reading something and somebody lived in like, I don't know, I'm thinking of Nobuko. Um, Nobuko now. Yeah. When somebody lives in like early 20th century Japan and you read like a letter they wrote and you're like, I feel that. Mm. If you could have sexted her, you would have. <laughs> I mean, that's something that's something that um, scholars of the ancient world talk about a lot. Like, I feel like the kind of like slogan of all of the like shoots that I was in in my like last year or two of university was like they were people too Mm. because that's something that I think people struggle to really understand even more doing ancient history than like more modern history because of how remote the time is and because of how little information we have and so forth but like at the same time you know people still had gravestones for their dogs and talked about how, like, I miss when you're a puppy and stuff on them. Like, we're all just people, you know. And, like, history, yeah, it's really about finding those moments where you connect with someone who lived long before you were ever born. We do have so many episodes that are just kind of, like, I don't know, I feel like the moments that I find relatable, like with you saying about Audrey Lord. Uh, talking about being like a messy 20 something (laughs) are those moments when you know these people who've all done great things or we wouldn't be talking about them just because they're the type of people who happen to have biographies written about them even if their great thing is just being like really intensely dedicated to being gay (laughs) Um, or those people whose great thing is just that they collected all the letters they ever wrote yeah these are great things yeah uh you know notable things might be a more neutral way to say Despite that, they also, you know, like got drunk and lost a shoe once or something like that. You know, those moments of like human fallibility that like, I think it's really easy to feel like, you know, only you really do. And and, like everyone Mm -hmm. else has themselves together more than that. But like, no, they don't. Yeah. (laughs) Or that like, it's, you know, it's, I feel like you see it a lot in if what you're like information about queer people comes from media. So much of what you see is everyone being the only queer person that they know. Mm. And so I feel like it's easy for people to think, especially when they're like young and newly queer, that they're the only person like this, that, you know, it's new. Yeah. They're like articulating feelings for the first time. Yeah, And I think it's very kind of gratifying to see that people have been like this always. Yeah. yeah when we talked about Audrey Lord and there was that bit where she'd like got that new apartment and it was like a really hot summer and her and her friends just like sat around in their underwear drinking like all, all summer. summer. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great time. And she if was like, lived- yeah. And she failed her German class and she was like, I just assumed I was the kind of person who couldn't learn German didn't occur to me that I had never studied and been drunk all semester. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as I was saying, I do feel like it's a little bit of a different thing to say, like someone you felt a particularly close connection to. I don't know. I feel like there's like relatable moments in basically all of our episodes, mm-hmm. but that's different than like really feeling a connection yeah. to someone. And I feel like those, I only really think of people that I've done the research for because I've just like lived with them for mm. so long. And I mean, you know, like 
not to be like, I only care about trans people. <laughs> I mean, we've discussed how I, I only care about lesbians. You only care about writers, lesbians. So like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even more niche. Um, but yeah, like I definitely had that very intensely with Paulie Murray and mm. like Paulie Murray's articulations of his gender identity, which like particularly because they were couched in like, I, I haven't done this research for a long time now, so I'm not going to try and like quote verbatim Paulie yeah. Murray's biographies or anything. But like couching people being like, I don't know, like, like what is this woman trying to express? I don't know. And he's just like, I can feel inside of me that there's like a masculinity that I cannot explain. Like, I wish that I could transition and be a man. And I'm like, I understand you more than this biographer does. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't know, just feel like there's that knowledge that like we – if we ever did get to sit down and have a conversation that like there is some part of each other that we would understand. And like, I felt this as well, really strongly. Like I don't, I don't have this exact same thing with like every trans person, but I felt this really strongly as well with Roberta Cowell, which I did not expect because I don't think she was like that great a person (laughs) on a like personal level, to be honest, like just we're all flawed. It's fine. But there was just like such, I feel a direct connection between her circumstances and mine which is different than being like relatable. That person got drunk sometimes. And <laughs> yeah, I yeah. sometimes. relatable. That person also failed their undergrad class yeah. because they were drinking. Yeah. Yeah. One is about me messing up sometimes. The other one's like about my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I'm interested to hear your answer to this because obviously you kind of come at this podcast from a different angle, you know, like you're researching like things like movies and things like that. Is this something that you come across? you know, in times where we have talked about like real people or is it something that you felt um, in the expression of like directors and writers whose experiences were talked about at all? Does anything spring to mind or? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like particularly with directors and writers um, when I've like read interviews or watched interviews with them and they're talking about, you know, trying to portray this kind of authentic queer experience on screen or on the page, then Mm. I found that really, like, I found that connection a lot stronger than I have with, you know, most of the characters. Yeah. Often we are trying to, like, pick apart the nuances of their portrayal in a way that, you know, is kind of by necessity with, at least with our fictional episodes, like purely fictional episodes, Mm. um, much more harsh than we would be with a real person. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of someone who, like, I kind of related to, even though, and kind of similar to how you were talking about with Roberta Cowell, I I found William Marston very interesting and just like incredibly Mm. compelling as a person Mm. because he's such a mess. Oh yeah, Um, and he he's a mess who had a lot of complex feelings about his own identity. Yeah, and as someone who's a mess with a lot of complex feelings (laughs) about my own identity, I can really relate Mm. to that. Yeah, going back to what you said a little bit earlier in that about how like you don't necessarily identify with the characters so much because we're just like picking them apart. Mm. I guess like I would assume, and certainly for me, if you're identifying with a character, I feel like that's just like a filter in the way of kind of identifying with the author and what Mm. they're trying to like say Mm. about queerness and whatnot. Mm. Like I guess in like tell it to the bees, like I don't feel any particular connection to either of those women, but like the woman who wrote it and her feelings about how queerness should be portrayed was something that I could kind of connect to through those characters. Mm. Um, Our next question comes from Anna on Facebook. 
who says, I remember seeing ages ago on Facebook that you were planning to do a Queer Fiction episode on But I'm a Cheerleader and the Miseducation of Cameron Post. But as far as I know, you ended up not releasing it. Are you still planning on doing that episode? So I guess like, first of all, Jason and I will talk about the lost episode. <laughs> we planned to do that episode at the time at which we stopped bringing episodes out every week and started bringing mm. them out like more or less fortnightly in a 10 episode season format. So we never actually made that episode to be clear it's not that we recorded it and then decided not to release it or anything like that i would still really like to do it at some point we don't actually have it like scheduled at this point Mm. but i think it would be good i think there'd be two really fruitful films to compare yeah um but yeah and i mean also like i guess we should mention that we were talking about comparing the films specifically but the miseducation of camera post is based on a book written by emily danforth at which point i think i'll throw to alice and irene for you know if you're hungry for content of us talking about emily danforth what can we do with that emotion (laughs) (laughs) we fully feel like it looks like we planted this question because it came at such a fortuitous time (laughs) but we did not we did not discussed planting questions that we wanted to answer and we chose not to do it because we got more questions than we're going to fit into this episode (laughs) but the very day before we recorded this q a irene and i actually had a chat with emily danforth about her latest book which is called plain bad heroines and which she describes as the blair witch project meets Picnic at Hanging Rock with Lesbians. It's a gothic novel. It's very good. You should read it. I can't imagine a better, like, plug for a book. I know. When she <laughs> said that, I was like, yeah. So yeah, me and Irene had a chat with Emily yesterday about her latest book. And if you keep your eyes on our Podbean or wherever you find our podcast, that'll be coming out soon. So we'll leave you, I think, with one last question, Jason. Yeah. So we've got a very important question that mm. came to us from Twitter user Morgan Jenkins. This is perhaps the most crucial question we will ever receive. <laughs> <laughs> and it reads as follows. If Patroclus were alive today, would he be a pineapple on pizza kind of guy? <laughs> yes. Why yes. justify that statement? <laughs> what line of the Iliad? Okay. <laughs> to be honest, like my 100% opinion on this is that I like pineapple on pizza. I'm extremely pro pineapple on pizza. And I also like Patroclus. That is solid reasoning. My answer and also I need to I need to be a dork and undermine my previous joke where obviously if your Patroclus interpretation is not based on the Iliad, does not make it less valid. That was the entire point of our episode. <laughs> um, but my my answer to this is personally Patroclus would be pretty agnostic about pineapple and pizza. He would eat it if it was there. He wouldn't be sad if it wasn't. But Achilles, I don't know if he'd be pro or for, but, but he, he would, would be ride or die. Yeah. He would throw a pizza against the wall. <laughs> before he would eat it <laughs> against his preference. Okay, so so we've got a vote for yes from Irene and a vote for maybe from Eli. That was such a nuanced mm-hmm. answer. You're like a good historian. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> sorry, vote, a vo- sorry. sorry, I vote for nuance from Eli. <laughs> Alice. Alice, do you have a vote? Oh. Well, it's hard to know because I'm thinking about the food that they do consume in the Iliad. <laughs> And they eat a lot of roast meat, and Mm. then they eat some fruits, I believe, and some honey. So So you're arguing that's functionally a pizza. They're generally listed kind of together, like, oh, yeah, we had some meat, we had some honey, maybe we had some bread. And they're not really separated by, like, courses in the same way we might separate our meals into, like, the savoury course and the sweet course. So if that's the case, and they're happy with the mixing of fruit and meat and sweet and savoury, I think Patroclus would be pro-pineapple and pizza. I think that's a convincing answer, Alice. That is incredibly compelling, and I'm glad. So Alice because... is not only arguing that Patroclus would be 
be pro pineapple on pizza, but that every but the, one the whole in the Iliad is pro pineapple on pizza. Yeah. Correct. It fits. Menelaus, pro pineapple on pizza. Agamemnon, pro pineapple on pizza. Ajax. Diomedes, Ajax, pro pineapple on pizza. Smaller, yeah. weaker Ajax, also pro pineapple on pizza. That's good, because I'm glad that you've now provided a historical justification for uh, <laughs> Patroclus being pro pineapple on pizza, because my vote was also similar to Irene. Absolutely yes. Okay, please justify this. Um, again, similarly to Irene, it's because I like pineapple on pizza. <laughs> but also, I don't know, Patroclus is a really friendly guy. Mm-hmm. and um, You I can feel just like... picture him in a Hawaiian shirt, and that leads you to Hawaiian pizza. Is that what's happening here? <laughs> But Jason, your favourite pizza is the Aussie. Do you think Patrickles would like an Aussie pizza? I think Patrickles would love an Aussie pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think Patrickles would smash an Aussie pizza. <laughs> do they have Aussie pizzas in other countries? They, I don't think they do have Aussie pizzas in other countries. Oh, okay. So I'm going to explain what an Aussie pizza is, which is ham, cheese, and egg. Like a fried like egg. a fried egg in the middle. <laughs> so I'd like to highly encourage you to send in more nonsense questions like that, because the nuanced one's beautiful, and also send more of those, but like... You know, yeah, I, I love a good weird yeah, like hypothetical hypothetical yeah. um, personally I would um, just like to finish by saying after we finish this recording we're going to order a pizza and I would like pineapple on it personally <laughs> I mean there's four of us we can get two pizzas yeah. <laughs> so yeah we, yeah we have a lot of additional questions that we didn't get to and so we'll definitely do at least one more of these episodes particularly if people seem yeah. to enjoy them the more um, questions so, you send us, the more Q&As we will do. Yeah. The more so if you're, sending, if, yeah. <laughs> if you're sending us a question, I guess we will assume that you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more of this kind of content. But yes, look out for our interview with Emily Danforth coming out soon. And then look out also for the start of season six of Queer as Fact, which will be on December 1st. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode and yet somehow are not aware of where to find Queer as Fact, you can find Queer as Fact on Podbean, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on Spotify or wherever else good podcasts are found. We are on social media, on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook as Queer as Fact. If you would like to contact us uh, to give us suggestions or uh, feedback or anything else, uh, you can contact us via email at queerasfact at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to our website, queerisfact.com, where we list a P.O. box address if you want to send us mail. Um, like physical a, mail? In a physical form. Mm-hmm. And we also would really appreciate anyone who leaves a review for us, uh, particularly on Apple Podcasts, as those help us to reach a wider audience. We'd like to acknowledge the Yalakut Willem clan of the Boomerang as the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.